Hello, hello, and welcome to Review 2. This time we're Review 2-ing From the Sky Down. Give me an acoustic guitar at the speed of light. I can't believe a band did that. Berlin texture and Manchester rhythm. Uh, this is me talking about a documentary that I like. A bassline is not an album. These rock stars who have found themselves on top of the world, but have no ability to deal with it. Hello and welcome to another edition of Review 2, the U2 podcast. This week we will be discussing the From the Sky Down rockumentary from 2011. Here with me as always is Johnny. Say hello, Johnny. Hello. We're two bespectacled U2 fans. We love talking about that too. And that's what we're going to do today. You seem to have added a bit into the the usual taglines of the episode. I I felt uncomfortable um, with... With some of those additions, to be honest, but we'll try and breeze past it. Um, maybe long-time fans also got a shudder down their spine. So we're talking about From the Sky Down. As I said, it's a documentary, rockumentary, if you will, by Davis Guggenheim. Someone who I, in my uh, earlier, um, more innocent, more carefree days, I just assumed that Davis Guggenheim was Guggy. But obviously they are very, very different people. But that's the kind of um, stupidity to which I am prone. Um, it was released in 2011, 20 years after Acton Baby, the album that it celebrates, and it was the premiere to the Toronto Film Festival. And it feels like it feels like time to do from the sky down. What with um, what with the anniversary of Acton Baby, and I, th- I think we've also got enough distance from when we did our Acton Baby episode, which felt like an absolute monster. My favorite album. And we, we we spent a lot of time on that. So it was nice to dip back into that world. How did you feel about going back to this, Tyler? Uh, really good. Um, an awkward stage for me, that 2010, 11, 12 time frame. Uh, as, I mean, as a U2 fan, I, I feel like there was there were a few big things happening, like the Acton Baby remaster, the Uber box set, the the other box sets, the super, there was the Uber Deluxe, the Super Deluxe, and then I think the normal Deluxe, Every everything seemed to be a Deluxe release of that, uh, of that album. And they've never, I don't think they've ever celebrated an album the way they did for Acton Baby's 20th. I mean, the only thing comparable, I suppose, would be Joshua Tree, but yeah, I think Well, it's... yeah, Joshua Tree got, it, got a whole tour, uh, so <laughs> yeah. yeah, fair point. Um, but it's an uncomfortable time for me to go back to. And I remember the very, very first time I watched From the Sky Down, it was on. It was shown on the BBC a, a good three weeks before it was shown in America. Um, now, that might be a strange thing to point out, but we never, ever, in the UK, we never, ever get a film release before America. It always seems to be that it premieres in America and then mm. premieres over here. And um, so it's a bit strange for us to get something first. Um, but I remember when I watched that uh, documentary, it had been on my Sky Plus recorded thing for weeks and weeks and weeks. And I just couldn't seem to get in the mood of sitting down to watching it. And I think when I first did, it felt really depressing and uh, there wasn't a lot of colour in it and so i think naturally because of that first time i haven't gone and revisited this this documentary too many times however 
I, I will say that my opinion of it has com- done a complete uh, 180. Uh, how about you? How, how did you first see it? I think it's similarly, I was desperate for some some content from the band, really. And I remember... I remember seeing... I think that's, that's a good way of putting it. This is some content. That's <laughs> yeah. a good way to describe what this is. It's some content. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not perfect, but I was very happy for it at the time. I prefer this to It Might Get Loud, obviously because it's much more focused on U2 squarely, um, and it celebrates my favourite album. I don't know. It's, uh, the first time I saw it, I, I remember enjoying it a lot, but I also came away from it feeling a little bit hungry. Like There were, there were bits of it that I really enjoyed, which I guess we'll talk about, and there were other bits that I felt fell a little bit flat. And I also felt like this whole framing of, you know, the road to Glastonbury. Glastonbury bookends the, the entire DVD yeah. or the entire documentary. I, I kind of felt, yes, that is a celebratory sort of thing. But that Glastonbury performance is always a little bit bittersweet to me. So it, it's always a bit undercooked i'd say that glassman performance it's it's seeing you two in a in a situation that isn't one of their own making and that's a bit odd to me so that always see, threw me off see, I, that's what i find so interesting about glastonbury because it, it is a struggle you can see that it's a struggle for them they're outside of the comfort zone and they're wrestling with the crowd and with the atmosphere and the rain and mm. the, the the trying to get to this comfortable point uh, to to put on this show, which and I would imagine those kinds of nerves are no stranger to you two. That kind of situation is no stranger to you two from what we've seen and what we've covered in the various seasons of Review Two. But it's like I I don't know. There's, there does seem to be a disconnect between Glastonbury and and you two. But my biggest misgiving with this film is it is bookended with Glastonbury and. At the start, as at the end, you see them walking onto the stage, and I wish more than anything that they had included that Glastonbury show as part, or at least some of it. You know, maybe an edited down version with some well, of the better did, songs, or just the Acton Baby songs. They did a bit. They didn't. They didn't. Well, well, they did. The, the end. The one song at the end. Yeah, well done. Well, I mean, uh, I, I think it's expecting a little bit too much for the the audience to sit through a whole rockumentary and then a whole gig. But yeah, maybe no, you could no, have come no, no, not for that. Just for us, just for us, you know, just yeah. for the people that go out and buy the DVD, buy the Blu-ray. Um, it seems like it's that's missing from it. I guess it might be a, this... it might be a BBC licensing thing, though. I imagine that would be to put it as part of that package. It might be a little bit. I imagine there's some sort of thorny issue where you'd have to mess around to actually get that cleared, although I don't know. What, because the BBC never re-released DVDs that the taxpayers paid for, do they? <laughs> you said we weren't going to get political on this on this podcast. Uh, I, I, I just, I'm completely done with the BBC at this point, if I'm honest. Well, I love the Beeb. I will always defend Auntie and her honour. So, um, yeah. Well, any, <laughs> anyway. Um, so, from the sky down, as we said... It is a celebration of Acton Baby. There's a lot of rattle and hum in it as well. More rattle and hum than, than I was imagining. And they follow this whole narrative of the the, the, the peak of J- the Joshua Tree and then the very fast decline after rattle and hum. 
um, which we actually we actually discussed quite a lot with um, with Jeff Morton when we were on on his podcast, the Colorado Sports Guy podcast, last time um, that you might have heard from us. Uh, if if not, then please go and check out Jeff's podcast. It's fantastic. So we have that narrative going, and we also have a return to the site, the studios, Hansa Studios in Berlin, which I stupidly didn't even think about last time I was in Berlin. I didn't think about even going near them and just even having a look at the building. I presume they're not doing tours, but, you know. I think they I think they must be doing tours. Of course they would be. I don't know. I mean, there was, I got the impression that maybe this is just me um, taking on what David Bowie said in the, in the documentary at face value that you know he felt like he was anonymous when he was going around there maybe they don't have as much reverence and they're not that bothered it's just a place of work um but yeah we have these incredible albums that were recorded at hands and that's what they wanted to capture they wanted to try and get that lightning in a bottle that was the idea well, you, anyway you just stumbled across something though which i think is a really important thread throughout this um whole documentary um, it's different people talking about inspiration and create creativity, and there's a lot of there are a lot of very interesting sound bites throughout it. But just just um, the, I mean, it's it's covered in the documentary. The reason you two went to Hansa Studios is it was recommended by Brian Eno. Uh, he'd been there with David Bowie and uh, people like uh, they mentioned Iggy, uh, people like David Bowie and Iggy Pop that had been there. But just in the few years before you two were there. Um, you've got Tangerine Dream, you've got Killing Joke, you've got Depeche Mode, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, uh, Susie and the Banshees. Uh, it's um, it's it's it really is a who's who of musical greats, particularly around that time, and some some great albums coming out of Hansa Studios. No, I believe Hansa Studios did actually close at some point in the nineties. Um, but it, I think it reopened around uh, the mid 2000s. Some of the, uh, the the people that have been there since um, include uh, some of the great artists. Mm. I'm going to say, go on, icons. Uh, the 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 Snow Patrols. Well, um, I mean, fair enough. I mean, the Manic Street Preachers. Manic Street Preachers. They were good. they were very good in the 90s. I agree, and um, it's just. Uh, well, your 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 friends' uh, churches have been there. Yeah, I mean, I don't know them personally, but I liked the first two of the records very much. Uh, Pet Shop Boys um, have recently been there. That's that was this year actually. Um, so the, you know, there's a, there's a few in there, but KT Tunstall as well. I do like a bit of KT. Um, mm. But it just it just seems like. It's got this reputation now, and um, whereas it was great band after great band after great band, um, there are a lot of people... I imagine that they can charge quite a lot of money to get bands in there now because it's a bit of a destination studio. Yeah, maybe people are doing the same thing that you 2 did, which is trying to trying to recapture some of the magic of the, of the, of the greats that, that were in there, perhaps. Yeah, um, but to be fair to Snow Patrol... If they if they did come out with an Acton Baby caliber album, I would be as interested as the next man. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a, a natural. I mean, they've supported them. I'm pretty sure, and I'm pretty sure that U2 and Snow Patrol. I think there's enough of a connection for us to possibly crank out a Tommel episode on that. Although it wouldn't be top of my it has, but It's been recently. Um, Eyes, Eyes Wide Open has recently been recommended to us or suggested to us. Um, but I, I, I do think that at, at one time Snow Patrol were in the upper echelon of 
the British music scene. However, I feel like that star has fallen considerably over the last 15 years. Well, yeah, they just they were never going to be a, a, a huge band in that sort of way. But I bet the I bet there's loads of Snow Patrol heads who who would defend them to the death, and and I'm not I'm not disagreeing with any of them. Shall we Shall we get right into the the actual film then? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, it feels like we're dancing we around stuff that we, we we should just be we should be going not track by track, but minute by minute, scene scene by scene, scene by scene. So. As we said, begins with the road to Glastonbury. This idea that this is going to culminate in a celebration of Acton Baby, which, to be fair, Glastonbury was. They, considering that it was a crowd of people who might not necessarily be totally on board with with um, you two, it was an interesting choice to go so heavy on Acton Baby, and I, I personally enjoyed it quite a lot. We have our old friend Brian at the start talking about the ideas of clans, which I think is, is a nice way to think about, about the band. This idea of people who are not genetically bonded, but they will defend each other, that close kinship between between the four people who, to be fair, have spent decade after decade after decade in each other's company now. So, yeah, I, I like I, I think Brian's got a good, good insightful point there. Yeah, I agreed with that, and it really reminded me... And we've, we've got a very close-knit group of friends... Um, not that we get not that we get together all the time anymore, particularly well, not, not this moment. year. <laughs> no, but um, we, it, it, I, I, you know, it, it, it's reminiscent. We're, I think we're all very, very protective of each other, and and I get that idea from from you two, particularly at this point. Even not even though they were going through various uh, various emotions and uh, the breakup of uh, Edge's first marriage. And Bono talks about the community within U2, the fa- the extended family of U2, the wives, the children, the girlfriends, all that kind of stuff. And it, it just it kind of harkened back to me that the, this is a band going through a bad time, but they're not turning around and blaming each other. Um, in fact, maybe I would have liked a bit of that if, if there was, you know, elements of in the documentary where the they're talking about how it, it was hard for one of them to be in the studio with somebody else or, you know, someone's ego got a little bit too inflated. But maybe, maybe that's just the fact that that didn't happen in U2. Maybe that's what makes them different. See, I reckon I reckon Davis Guggenheim, in, he's done a good job with this. I like From the Sky Down. I liked it when I first saw it. I still like it. And I've always, I've always enjoyed it. It's quite comforting to put on in some ways. But I feel like, yeah, he didn't maybe go as hard as he could have done. And I think there the probably is that level of conflict that if he had dug a little bit deeper. Apparently, he got a lot of access and a, and a huge amount of freedom, actually unprecedented freedom um, to, to film things and what he could cover and what he couldn't cover. So, yeah, I, I would like him to go a little bit harder in that, in that sort of direction. It does seem quite polite and maybe maybe it was just a sense of sadness or a lack of creativity the the wheels spinning rather than everyone shouting at each other i don't get the feeling that i mean like that bit later on where they compare them to all the other bands where people storm out and got fired and all that other sort of stuff i don't think they've ever had that level of conflict which is i mean thank god but i can't imagine that that wasn't the case you know i can't imagine there wasn't the odd uh thrown guitar or you know the odd storm out because 
just just the way they the, they skirt around the issue of Larry really being resistant to what Adam uh, to what Edge and Bonner were trying to do, and Adam being somewhat skeptical. I can't imagine that there wasn't those huge those those huge bust ups, but maybe that is just because with every single rock band you ever hear about, that's what happens, and maybe they are that close. Maybe they're that close that they they can support each other even at times of crisis. I also don't feel like that feeds into any one of the the personalities. Look, I obviously don't know Jack about the actual band's actual you know day to day personalities, but from my limited evidence, I just I can't see Adam, for example, smashing a a, a, a bass over you know a drum kit or something like that. I know that there's there's been over, over Bono's head. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, the, I mean, I can see Larry being you know annoyed and sullen, Larry, Larry sullen junior um if you will but i can't see him being larry larry violent you know junior yeah I can't, certainly not yeah <laughs> um, um but uh so we've both seen um it might get loud also uh directed by davies Gu- uh, guggenheim uh who I, th- who I believe is a friend of the edge and he's not a young director he's a, he's roughly the same age as as bono uh and the edge and I, I get the same feeling with this as I did with what's it called? Uh, it, it might get loud. Were you've particularly it might get loud. You've got three egos in a room. Now the edge might have the smallest ego, but it was almost there wasn't this one person asking questions and trying to delve deeper and trying to understand um, the the musical philosophies and. I feel like the Edge, Jimmy White, and Jack, uh, Jimmy Page, and Jack White. My God, I think Jimmy uh, White. Um, I think he's a snooker player, isn't he? <laughs> so yeah, that documentary. He's wondering what the hell Jimmy he's doing White there. It's like, I don't even play guitar. <laughs> and don't ask, don't ask Jack Page what he's up to. <laughs> oh, shut up! Shut up! Right. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry, I've just got Jimmy White in my head now. <laughs> right, but the, the point is, they were all being very, very polite yeah. uh, towards each other, and and I think that stunted it. And I think if you if they'd had a little bit more, oh, um, you know, one of them has a stark opinion, and the other was, oh no, I disagree with that. But being able to respectfully disagree, which I think they all could have um, coped with. I feel yeah. like they were all waiting for somebody else's ego to burst. It's very polite. And in, yeah. With this, I've got the same feeling. It's a, It was a difficult time for them recording um, Actung Baby. And I think that's why so many fans are so obsessed with this period. Because it, it, there aren't many rock bands that changed what they did so drastically and so successfully mm. as you 2 did between... Rattling Home and Acton Baby, and I and I feel like there was no one, there wasn't an interviewer there who was willing to probe and and you know just poke and ask questions and touch a few nerves just to try and get those deeper answers from the band, and and I think and I think getting those those answers from someone like Adam or Larry would have been really interesting to a, a U two audience. 
Yes, and the they are underrepresented in the film. Although I I don't imagine Larry was kind of clamouring, saying, you know, can I have more time? Can I have more time on here? And then, you know, it's they're they're featured, but they're not the focal point, and that that makes a lot of sense. So yeah, I agree. It could have gone. I think we're in agreement there. It could have gone a bit more, a bit more cutting, a bit more invasive, and get to the real the real heart of what what went on. But this is what we've got. Yeah, yeah, this is this is what we got, um, and for what it is, I, I do think it's a very good uh, rockumentary. Um, those insights from Flood and from Brian Eno uh, are very, very interesting, um, and and we actually got to see Brian playing some uh, some keys at some point. Mm-hmm. So we because, so we can uh, actually play things, unlike what you usually say. Uh, it, uh, it wasn't it, it wasn't Bach. Let, let's just say that uh, it was it, he was playing some keys over one. Do you remember that bit? Yeah, good keys. Well done, Brian. Yeah, because the, 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 the flood sound bites actually are really interesting. And by the way, flood doesn't look anything like I thought flood would look like. Well, I knew what he looked like because um, he's on the back of the Acton Baby cover, or he's in the line. You know, he's in the booklet. So I always knew what, what Flood looked like. Although I remember the first time being like, oh, he's a Brummie. I didn't know he was actually Flood was from Birmingham. That was um, that was a that was a shock. He still remains my favourite U2 producer, I think, overall out of everyone. Well, he came out he came out with the line that you know finally we get this uh, we get with this song one and everybody's everybody's digging it and everybody thinks this is great. We, you know we're finally we're finally going somewhere and then Brian walks in mm. and went. Oh, we've got to do something about that. It bores me to tears. Or, or words to that effect. <laughs> I like it's so it's so Brian Eno, and it's like this is exactly why me and Brian Eno will never ever ever get along. I th- imagine if we ever interviewed Brian Eno, the in the arguments that I would get into with that man. Mm. Well, I'll just I'll I'll coax his ego by being sycophantic. I I love Brian Eno. Um, right, let's let's do this scene by scene though. Let's not jump too far ahead. And I also think you can't okay. you can't blame Brian Eno for being too Brian Eno because that's I mean that's. That's who he is. Um, so we begin with the band in a time lapse um, as Eno is talking, um, very slowly getting off a plane, and then we go into the rehearsal studios and um, they're doing a version of the Fly. Now, it's Bono's got a guitar here, and I'm always conflicted about this because I'm I'm sorry that Bono fell off his bike, right? I'm sorry that he had an accident. But it's sort of annoying now because I can't make fun out of his guitar playing. It feels like it's it's sort of mean. Nevertheless, would you like me to make your day? Go on. He hadn't had the accident at this point. We can say what the hell we want. Well, I guess so. Yeah, it feels like kicking in in a sort of post um, way. But well, yeah, fine. Um, I still can't hear what Bono's doing. This is what I always say whenever Bono's got a guitar on stage, and they're just playing. I can't hear what he's doing, and. The body language of the band. If you go back and look at the um, the DVD, and I assume people will, will will probably give this a rewatch of their Blu-ray or the DVD before they actually listen to us gab on about it and share our whatever opinions we have about it. But if you look at the body language, Bono's so far away. And if I was in a band and I saw the other guys like all clubbing together, like you can tell he's not part of that instrument section. And it's weird because I don't like seeing Bono seem. Like a well, like a lemon, to be honest. Like just, just sort of stood there and thinking, what's his role? In in a studio setting, though, I get it because he's not got a crowd to play with. I said before, the crowd are his, his are his instrument. 
Mm. Uh, that that's that's really other than singing. Uh, that is not to downplay his his vocal ability, but that's what his job is in the band. It's to get these songs over to an audience. So I kind of get him having a guitar because it it could seem a bit, you know. It doesn't. He could seem a bit aloof if he's just stood there with a microphone, going, "Let me know when you're ready, guys." You know. Yeah, he just, he just. Uh, there's no need for it there whatsoever. Um, yeah, and he, and it just seems. It might, it, it might give him a, a sense of the song. I know, I know. Like when me and you sporadically write songs, you'll send something over. You are the better guitarist, um, hands down. No, no dispute. But I'd like to know what you're playing so that I can play it and suss out a melody. Yeah. It's easy to do that when I'm making the sound rather than a track that you've sent over. So I get that. Well, yeah, but I also, I mean, I also don't uh, sneak off and tell the tech to turn down your guitar, uh, which is, I assume, what Edge is doing to Bono because you can never (laughs) hear it. If we were in a band, you definitely, definitely would. I'd take a shade off it, but I wouldn't turn it completely down. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, Another thing that's... um, that's interesting here is I, th- I think you get a, a real insight when the band, um, because they, they want to listen, they're listening back to versions of the fly here, which they don't seem very happy with. And I, I think that's, that's great because it means that, um, that you, you get a sense that they are hungry and they're not just resting on the laurels and everything like that. But I think you get a real sense of, of, of how each of them are, what they're like. So when they're listening to that, you've got um, Bono has his hands clasped in front of him very reverently, you know, in that sort of like almost churchy sort of way, where you've got your hands one palm over the other, um, like you're being respectful. Bono's there for the reverence of the song, the spirit of the song, even if it's not very good. Both Adam and Larry have got their arms folded. Larry in a kind of, when are we going to get on with this sort of way? Adam in a kind of, I'm um, just sort of listening kind of sort of way. And uh, can you remember what Edge is doing? Edge is playing along, isn't he? No, this is when they're listening back to the track. So not playing... I can't. I, can't, I remember the scene, but I can't remember exactly what he was doing before Bono's amazing line. Yeah, well, well. Um, just before <laughs> that, Edge, um, Edge is writing down notes on a pad. So I think you get all of the, all of the, you know, the scientists of the band, Bono, the kind of the spiritual sort of person, um, Adam and Larry, arms folded. I think you get a lot of the personality just from just from that little thing. So what's um, what's um, Bono saying then? Well, I, I can't. I mean, Bono's supposed one-liner is so kind of obscure and uh, you know still being still being put together as it's coming out of his mouth. He's basically trying to say, "Did we actually play that to people? Mm. How did we get away with that?" But he, he he ends up going on for about five minutes like of, of this one joke. He's like, "Yeah, we 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 get what you're trying to say, Bono." It wasn't it wasn't very well put. Yeah, I think and it, and every time I watch it, it's just like, oh. I, I I think of I think of these four people as the coolest people on the planet, mm. and then as soon as they do any documentary, they just expose themselves to being utter utter nerds. Uh, but uh, having said that, having said that, I do think the first part of this documentary is them trying to get Rattle and Hum right. Um, Rattle and Hum right. Yeah. So what they were trying to achieve with oh, the Rattle and Hum documentary, right? Yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is this is kind because they re, they recap all of that and even show some scenes from Rattle and Hum. And I feel like the 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 first large chunk of this is about them, uh, rect, kind of trying to rectify what they were trying to achieve with Rattle and Hum. Yeah, and I think they're also very aware 
last time we did this documentary rockumentary it didn't go very well so let's try and make sure that people definitely definitely don't think that we're just pompous asses who who you know love our own stuff and trying to and we're trying to teach america how you know how to play how to play the blues here's an idea guys let's show let's show some scenes where we're actually having fun well yeah wouldn't, wouldn't that be a change well i mean speaking of um speaking of times when people aren't having fun there's a bit where Bono is talking about how um, he used to just shout over people and at people, and and directs everyone. So while they're, so they're having a go, they're playing um, in the next bit. They're, they're having a go at playing Wild Horses, and it did make me think back to me when I was a, a teenager in a in a band where pretty much I mean, Vinny was in that band, and the other two members, uh, very nice guys, but they were basically checked out of this band. They 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 were in it just I think because of our friendship, and that was it. But in the last few months, and I remember getting that same kind of frustration that I think he's talking about, where I'm saying, no, you don't do that. When we said we're not doing that, why are you playing that? You go quiet, like we said, you know, just shouting at people and and not having that thing that's gelling there. And I always really, really like the little bit here where Bono's telling Edge what to do with the guitar in Wild Horses. And he just gives the direction, then walks away from Edge. And Edge goes, yeah, that's actually quite hard to do, though. But he, you know, he, he sort of goes along with it and tries to appease him. Yeah, it's it's good for you to, um, you know, finally apologise to uh, to the two other members of that band. I'm, I'm sure they... That wasn't an apology. It. Oh, right, right. I, I thought it could have been, you know. No, they should have been paying attention to what I said. <laughs> then we would have been right, we would yeah. have been a great band. You, you, you've got such an edge complex when you're recording music. <laughs> it's only me that can put up with it. Vinny, Vinny moved down to London just so he didn't have to put up with you anymore. Mm. Well, fair enough. Um, but back to uh, back to another successful band. Yeah. You see what you mean? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. Okay, so what what happens what happens next? Now I'm looking at my notes here, and I'm wishing I'd done a better job of keeping track of what happened. And I wish we'd I wish we'd um, recorded this sooner than when I actually actually saw this. Oh, that's what I'm th- I was going to say. I've not gone seen I've not gone scene for scene because I assume everybody will have seen this anyway. Well, I'm keeping it roughly roughly chronological, but um, okay. The the things that I was I was noticing about that performance as well is. Um, while Bono and Edge are having this tete-a-tete about how to um, make the song sound good, how to make wild horses sound good, um, this is a problem with being a drummer. Larry's just got to carry on. You know, he's just got to sit there and just carry on hitting things for ages and ages. But, um, but it probably relieves some stress for him, I would imagine. Well, yeah. Um, what did you make of this actual version of Wild Horses? Because I actually think it's it's pretty good, and they've, they've I think the arrangement works. Yeah, really good um, because. I, I'm, I mean, I would say, I say this about a lot of songs, but I would say that at this point in time, Wild Horses was a rarity. Yep, definitely. It wasn't something that you heard them playing live. So to have a, a more updated version of them playing it in the studio, uh, for me was... Because um, I think you two are the kind of band that can never say play the same song the same twice. Yeah, there's always differences, and particularly when those songs have disappeared from set lists for a, a decade or two, and then the the rediscovering it and relearning how to play it, um, that that can only be interesting to me. Um, so so yeah, and and it was a good dynamic. It was a good, a very good version actually. I've, I don't think I've ever heard a bad version of, of horses. 
Um, and uh, it reminded me of Manchester a couple of years ago where they, you know, dug that one out of the bag and I was just like, you know, mm. how close we were to them playing that and just... Just an incredible song, and um, what I would what I would have liked with uh, songs like Wild Horses and Ultraviolet and Throwing Your Arms Around the World, there isn't really that in depth discussion about those songs. You get an, an in depth discussion about one mm. and about um, uh, oh, so cruel. Um, I don't know how much of an in depth in depth discussion we get of anything apart from one. Really, I, I would I would. To be honest, of, of I know this wouldn't work for most people, and they're obviously trying to appear to a broader fan base than just you two uh, fanatics here. But I, I would definitely take you know every single one of those songs being discussed at the same depth that they did with one. And hey, maybe the um, maybe the stories aren't there with one. It is sort of emblematic. It's the the heart of the film that song, the thing that saves the band. But yeah, I, I mean, I'd love for them to do a good ten minutes on Acrobat or Ultraviolet. Even down to you know recording techniques and all that other sort of stuff. What they had for for tea before they recorded it, you know, anything really. Yeah, I mean, I feel, I feel like that. You've got a question: who who was this film made for? Was it made just made for the Toronto Film Festival? Was it made for fans? Was it made for the Acton Baby uh, box set? Uh, you know, who who was it for? And and. My answer is well, it's only really of interest to diehard fans uh, like us. I don't know. You know, people that are the people that are going to watch everything. I, I don't imagine somebody else, uh, you know, who, who's you know a part-time fan really sitting down and spending the time an hour and a half to watch this. Maybe not, but you know, you got your your average rock rock fans. I mean, look, we are not necessarily the biggest Depeche Mode fans ever. But we spent time researching. That's changing rapidly. Well, yeah, but I've, I've, at the time, I feel like I've bought nearly every live show they've, <laughs> they've got going. I'm just, I'm, I'm hammering Depeche Mode at the minute. But I, but I mean, for our review, which we did on Tumble, um, which people can obviously go and listen to, um, I, I watched some of the making of that, and I, I did find it of general interest. And I'm certainly not a diehard Depeche Mode fan, so. I think it, it, I think they were aiming a little bit broader to tell a a story that everyone could maybe appreciate. But obviously, as a bit more of a nerd of U two stuff, I would rather them go a little bit more in depth. Um, the thing that I really enjoyed about this, and I also wanted them to do a bit more. I really liked the animation that was in it. I thought that was um, something that we could have had a bit more of. Now, animation's expensive, no matter how you do it. It's time consuming, but. That section, the bit where Bono is talking about melody and pressing fingers on keys, like that almost, I don't know what, like it's probably the the music that's that's part of it, but, and the animation and him talking about melody and that that almost like like got me a little bit like wet-eyed there. It's, it's, it's so crazy, that idea of um, when you're a kid and not necessarily being, necessarily being technically proficient, but just this note goes with that note. And that speaks to me yeah. quite a lot because neither of us are proper, you know, trained musicians or anything like that. We've had lessons on, on guitar, you know, but not, not, we're certainly not like Vinny, who's a, a grade, what, eight, a p- pianist or whatever. So, but... We, I'm, a, I'm a classically trained singer, but carry on. Yeah, all right. Okay, fine. Fair enough. But you know what I mean? I mean, like, I mean, like proper, <laughs> proper musicians, not just, not just warbling. Um, so, <laughs> so like... Oh, very dull, sir. There's those those vocal talents in full force. Um, I get that. I get what Bono's talking about because I also I remember having a guitar 
and knowing nothing about what I was doing and feeling my way around it and thinking that goes with that and if I keep playing these three notes over and over it sounds good and I it's that's what music should be really it should be that that um that sort of discovery and I wish because um, Bono played a couple of keys in that and we had these big lovely reverby soundtrack in the background I kind of wish I was reminded of the sound of something like Angels Too Tied and I was thinking, why don't they ever go back to that kind of sound anymore? I, I really, I, I miss it. You know, they're almost like the um, the October sound. You know, piano, very sparse. I, 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 I sort of miss that, and I don't think they do enough of that anymore. So there we go. Um. Well, I think the 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 thing is, we we don't really know. You don't really get B sides anymore, do you? Because no, singles aren't a thing anymore. So we don't, other than what's released on the album or what gets leaked, we don't really see what's been left on the cutting room floor. And that's, it's not an issue, but it's it's something that music nerds like me and you have got very used to. It's like, great, so this is the album. What what didn't make the album? Mm. I I mean, I, I used to buy deluxe versions of people I weren't even that into just so I, uh, just so I could I could see. Oh right, so why did they put this song on, but they didn't put that song on? And you know, just trying to understand the philosophy or the mentality of a band or an artist or a, a producer, um, just to just to just to try and work that out. And oftentimes, um, there's always something really good on there, and that you can you can never quite understand. And it can be some something as simple as well. This is more poppy. This sounds more like what's in the charts, mm. so this might sell better than that one does. This one's a better single, but yes, this one is a better song. Um, uh, but we don't really get that now with you two. Um, particularly, uh, I've mentioned this many, many times in an interview where uh, Larry said they had about 60 songs uh, for Songs of Innocence. Mm. Now, how many of those ended up on um, Songs of Experience? I don't know. Um, but we're, we've certainly not had 60 songs in the last 10 years. No, of course not. And some of that's being held back for projects like Songs of Ascent, which might happen, which might not happen. But all mm. I want is eventually I would just like that vault to be to be opened at some point. And just while I'm talking about that little animated... I think you'd have to it's, you'd have to prize the key from Edge's cold, dead hands. Well, I'm willing to do that. Um the thing that I also wanted to just say, say is if anyone actually knows what that music is, it might just have been some incidental music that, that someone made, but I really enjoyed it. So if there's, if there's any, if anyone knows what that music is while that little cartoon bit's going on, then um, then let me know because I, I, I would be very interested to, to find out. We also then get Danny Lanoir, Danoir himself, and his appearance solves the mystery of where my grandma's tea cosy went because it's uh, it's upon his head. Did you enjoy Danoir? I did, yeah. Um, he has um, got better with age, I will say. And his um, appearances in the ground beneath her feet... not, not Well, you know, that Million Dollar Hotel era sessions. Mm. Uh, he looks really cool in, in those uh, those days. And uh, he looked really... I think he looked quite cool in uh, Joshua Tree days. Wait, so... But maybe he... Maybe... Uh, he he was in a very different place than you two at that point, but uh, he 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 seems to have let himself go a little bit for acting baby, acting baby sessions. Wow. 
Um, and it was, it was like, oh god, that's what that's what Danwar looks like at that point. Well, he's busy um, was, making records. Was Eno bald at this point? Yeah, he was. Right, yeah, okay. I mean, he he was. Yeah, I think he'd seen the writing on the wall and thought, I, I, "This is getting silly now. I've just got to get rid of this." You know, something. Yeah, are you thinking that? Something we all have to do, and I, I'll probably looking at my forehead now in the uh, reflection on the screen. I'm probably thinking <laughs> the same thing. Um, also, you know, uh, when McGuinness was there, um, he's got this black mark on his nail, and I couldn't figure out what it was. And his hands are very uh, visible on the table. <laughs> Um, I, I, and 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 I just it just caught my attention big time. Well, I mean, people cannot fault us for not going in enough detail about this thing. Let's uh, <laughs> let's speed up slightly. So, um, one of the things that this uh, that from the sky down shows you is Bongolese in um, in full force, which is a really interesting process, and it's something that I've I've always thought is of actually, although it seems silly, is a great way of of writing lyrics. Um, so we get some unforgettable fire footage with Bono feeling his way around and the idea is that Bono will to the music he will sing something some kind of melody even if it makes absolute nonsense and then he'll he'll then light up on the melody and then the melody guides away for the words which is a much better way I would say um, although I've written very few number ones um, can't remember the last time I did it I'd say personally that's a good way to write a song rather than saying I've got some lyrics and I'm going to jam them into this song come hell or high water the better thing to do is listen to the song and then inhabit it and find a melody that works then find your words You know, then put the content in another um, element to the Bongolese uh, thing and you know it's normally known as a, a language that but you I feel like Bono really incorporates the feeling of the song he's almost trying to burst out of his skin uh, when when he's doing it he's moving in a very uh, un um, rhythmic way uh, he's he's trying to get this song out of him in you know mm. any way he, he can he can and um, I, I think it's really that's an important part of Bongolese. It's not just singing nonsense lyrics to any melody that's in your head. Yeah. It's finding the it's finding the energy and finding a way to harness the energy, I suppose. Um, and that's th- this documentary shows that amazingly. Yeah, well. Yeah, that's something that it does do exceptionally well. Um, we get a bit of photography from Anton as well. We get the um, the the as we start to get more and more into this idea of the Joshua tree or the Joshua tree, as, um, as Anton Corbin says, we get the idea of the band being serious and, um, and that working well. And apologies guys, if you, if you are long-term listeners and we're retreading some of the same ground, we're bound to do that. But with the Joshua tree, it makes sense because the, the songs are there to support what's going on and they are a bit like actors and Anton was photographing as he said the songs not the band he's not really interested in the band as personalities that kind of sculptured look that they've got where they look very serious in the Joshua Tree it works I don't think that looks bad in retrospect I think it looks fantastic whereas Rattling Hum is a complete mess in a lot of places so it's 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 not black and white's fault basically is what I'm saying no, but the, you have Adam talking about uh, Anton, uh, Anton and how they wanted a different feeling for this and they wanted to inject the colour of Berlin into uh, into the album and so they, they asked Anton to start shooting in colour, which is taking Anton completely out of his comfort zone. Mm. And even even then with the photographs that he took, they turned up the, the contrast. 
and really, really made them really colourful. Very saturated. Um, yeah, and I, and I just think that's interesting because you employ this photographer whose bread and butter is um, black and white photographs. And yeah, we, we, we want you to do it, but uh, can you um, can you uh, do some colour uh, photographs mm. for us this time? And it's very strange. Why not go with someone else? Um, but I, I suppose it's putting another person into the same mindset that the band are in. It's yeah. like, okay, this is Util's rule book and we're ripping this up now. And we're, we're re, uh, re-learning everything we know. Yeah. Um, so I, I agree with it in principle, but it, re- it could have gone so badly. So we have further footage of Joshua Tree leading into Rattle and Hum and the idea that this was a difficult tour. The band chucked a load of money into it, as we know. They invested all the profits from Joshua Tree into this huge project. And it does seem like the band had such a rough time live. Now, we've obviously covered this as well on our live season where we were talking about the Joshua Tree. And there's such a disjunction between some of the footage that they've got here where the band seems happy and human compared to the yes undoubtedly pompous version of the band that comes across i'm not saying it's the truth but that's what comes across on rattle and hum so uh, even just a little thing like ali you know shooting down all the targets at the funfair and then bono looks into the camera and goes that's my wife like it's and does a little funny (laughs) american voice and does a voice and you see his eyes go bigger as she's hit shooting all of these targets it's i really like that sort of thing and that's that's i mean they shouldn't have made any film whatsoever they didn't need to but that's that's a better film than the kind of po face no i i think if they'd done uh, right this is my thing with um rattling home right there should have been a voiceover there should have been point like in this like in from the sky down there should have been uh voiceovers from the band you know mm. uh not just weird bits in Larry's kitchen where he's talking about Elvis there should have been a constant voiceover throughout to tell the story because without it it's just going from scene to scene and you don't really mm. you don't really get it. You, you don't get a sense that they are struggling to play these live shows no, you don't until Bono says and it. that's the problem that's the problem and and really it's a narrative problem from the sky down works and it definitely does work because you have a conflict. You've got a bit, but it could be better. It could be better, but you need to be, you need to be talked through the story with things like this. And there's even even in from the sky down, there are too many uh, silent parts where it's really quiet, and then one will come in, you know, uh, re- really quietly and say, uh, "Well, Edge's Edge's uh, marriage was breaking up. Mm-hmm. I was in Dublin with Ali." We hadn't heard from Larry and Adam for a couple of months, you know, and it's just it 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 builds up this isolation. I know the effect it's trying to create, but what it creates is a very very depressing watch in uh, too many parts, unfortunately. And uh, this is me talking about a documentary that I like. But I, I still I still think the what that works because you have the idea of the band is going through a major conflict going through some sort of major conflict in the middle and there is a story to be told. The story of you 2 in the 80s into the 90s is an interesting story, no matter how you spin it. The story of just Rattle and Hum on its own and the Joshua Tree, there isn't a story there because there's no conflict. The story is band who did well plays songs <laughs> in black and white. 
that's the story, you know. So, so on a narrative level, there's no need for Rattling Hummer. Maybe that's 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 the problem with it. Whereas, I don't mind so much the the depressing parts of this because it shows, you know, the depression that was in there. I think all the way through U2's career, they have had this temptation to be uh, to or, or this desire to come across as artsy and uh, interesting, and um, I think they'd be much more comfortable having a cult following than having a huge mainstream following like they do, and um, and I think that's the issue. Whereas they should sometimes just do a straight down the line documentary. They are too tempted to try and find something that's artsy and cool and, and appeals to um, to art school students. And I think that's a shame. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I don't have a problem with them trying to do something artsy, but, I mean, if the result is rattling hum, then they should, they should think again. We get a rehash of the fact that they were discovering America as fans, which I, I think Bono's very harsh and quite fair with himself in in retrospect on this bit and then you get larry also saying thank god for that when they'd when they'd done they show a clip of the point depot and them saying right we're gonna we're gonna turn down the the joshua tree we're gonna rip it down good let's move on you know let's 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 just move on from this whole thing because it was too much pressure for them i think because they, they there was they would they would as edge says in the documentary they weren't it wasn't you know step by step slowly getting there suddenly they were all over the place and they were the biggest band on the planet and they weren't prepared for it and they were young kids they were you know in the in the mid to late 20s and it must have been terrifying but i don't get a sense of them really struggling with that through rattling home which is a shame because it could have been really interesting to have those sound bites of these rock stars who have found themselves on top of the world but have no ability to deal with it that would that would be the documentary that's interesting to see for the Joshua Tree tour. Well, maybe there'll be Not, a rattling hum. Look at us, we're on top of the world, but we're miserable about it. Yeah, and we're 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 just going to sort of laugh off or be reticent about questions whenever whenever a camera goes goes on us. Well, mm. good. We've arrived then at the Berlin texture and the Manchester rhythms of the Acton Baby era. Although apparently this is not the thing that they that they it's not the arrival that they wanted. Adam obviously going through a lot of problems culminating in him missing that show larry going off to try and take some drum lessons maybe to rediscover the drums in some sort of way and we get one of the best quotes that bono's got here i think the quote that really sums up the whole difference or the the journey of rattling home to and baby about the being the being a an edifice that you have to destroy and in between one version of the band and the next you've got nothing in between and them just having a, a space there. And I think that, that does show the the depth of the reinvention that, that went on with with Acting Baby and, and led to, in my opinion, the best work of the career. But having said that, um, yes, it started with Edge uh, discovering the, the very industrial um, German music, mm-hmm. European music, and Bono harkening back to things like Kraftwerk. Yeah. But it, but they were still lost during that time. They they weren't they weren't together as a unit. Acton Baby didn't really start coming together with that. It was only when they started. Uh, well, it was uh, as they say in the documentary, uh, so cruel and one. They were the the ones that actually gave the album some focus mm. and a feeling and a, and a narrative. Well, I mean, you only have to listen to that 
earlier version of Mysterious Ways, which was called Sick Puppy, at least in one of its iterations early on. And the the drum machine sounds rubbish. Um, the the bass line is there, obviously, although it takes Bono forever to actually recognise it. I'm like, it's, it's obviously Mysterious Ways, Bono. Um, and but it obviously doesn't sound right. They they needed to actually, you, you know, it's not a bass line is not an album, so they needed to actually expand it and and change it into something. Otherwise, you've just got a slightly interesting bass line to a not very good, quite ropey drum machine, which is not going to that's not going to reinvent your career. So yeah, they they needed to find that emotional heart, that unity together. In order to actually make something that was going to be groundbreaking. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, I do find those interesting, but I feel like they glorify them not knowing what's happening. They're just experimenting. Um, but I do like that there are different songs with different, uh, you, know, you know, different songs within other songs, and that is why I love "Lady in the Spinning Head," uh, "Lady with the Spinning Head." <laughs> in a spinning because head. you have on. Um, Lady in a spinning head, yeah. Uh, Lady with the spinning head is a great B sign for me because it has so many different elements yeah. of um, Actung Baby within it, and it's like if you if you whittle down every every song on Actung Baby and a few of the B sides into one song, then it is Lady with the spinning head, yeah. and it's fascinating to listen to. It's like a trailer um, for the album in a way. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's only something I only rediscovered a couple of years ago, um, but it's 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 amazing. I, I, how how is that just a B side? I get why it's a B side because you know it, all its parts became other songs, yeah. but it, it's so good to listen to that as one whole thing. Look, if if we ever get to watch them again live, which um, I mean I'm, I'm hopeful, but it's, it seems like a long way off. Um, I would take the extended dance remix of Lady with a Spinning Head over Pride, over One, over With It, basically over any song at this point. Uh, that's, uh, you know, if I heard that, that sort of thing, come on, I, my head would explode. I'd be that happy about it, you know. Um, that's not going to happen, obviously, because the majority of the crowd would be like, what is, go-? well, not even being a bit snobby there, but a lot of people would not know what the hell is going on. Um, but I, yeah. I know, but the, but the ones that did. Um, to be fair, like, it'd just be like the, one, acro- the ones that did would ex- would explode. It would, yeah. It, it, it would just be like Acrobat again. Um, they the band get the last flight into the old divided Berlin. We got some great shots of of Berlin, um, which it makes me miss it and wish that I could go back to it. So maybe in a in a couple of years or so, um, and I can actually go and try and visit Hansa Studios and see what see what um, see what it's actually like and not not squander that choice again. And I was thinking with um we get around here the 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 commentary that the edge was breaking up with his his first wife at that at that point and um we get the performance of love is blindness and I'm just wondering practically speaking why can't we have this kind of performance in a tour just as a breather you know to give to give Adam and Larry and Bono just a bit of a a, a bit of space maybe later on in in the set just edge with an acoustic basically just doing the same sort of thing this version of this song, I think, is popular enough now to be able to to command a small, tiny bit at the end of the set, and you know, be a lighter song. It could still be a single. Well, you know, yeah. if it's revamped, repurposed, um, maybe it will be this time next year. Who knows? Um, well, you know, acting baby. This this DVD, this uh, DVD, Blu-ray, documentary, whatever you want to call it. 
um, was released for the 20th, and now with the 30th coming next year, it's um, like, what the hell are they going to do this time? What I would like are some some B-sides, some actual unreleased stuff from the vault, not just slapping a sticker on something we've already got before or saying, we've remastered it. Okay. Can you hear any difference? Like, as in, actually, could you hear a difference? If you play those two side by side and you said, which is a remastered one? You know, it, it does annoy me a little bit. I would I would just like something... They've got all these old DAT tapes around. Use them. Yeah, you, you just... You, as I say, you'd just like the keys to the warehouse, wouldn't you? Well, I, I'd accept someone going into the warehouse, picking up a few interesting curios that they think, well, that's not totally embarrassing and it's an interesting idea and just getting them out there. Um, I just think I, I want more stuff. I don't want I don't want more more of the same thing with a new sticker on it. That's that's what I don't want basically. I think I think we'll get it all. I think we will get it all eventually. But they are desperate to not be a legacy act right now, um, and um, unfortunately, with the age they are, the inconvenient truth is that they're always going to be in danger of becoming a legacy act. So. Um, I, I think just starting to rely on re- releasing old stuff or unreleased stuff from eras gone by, uh, it's, that's that's the final nail in the coffin, really. Mm. Once you start living off all your old stuff, you become Bon Jovi. Well, and that's why, that's why um, I personally wouldn't be up for a, a an Actum Baby tour in the same style as the Joshua Tree. I think they did it, they did it well but even someone like me who loves the Acton Baby more than any other album, I still don't want to this, well, see that just this rehashed. Is why the, this is why the Joshua Tree tour made sense the, the 30th an, uh, anniversary Joshua Tree tour made sense because when they like we've just discussed, when they first did the Joshua Tree tour, they just found themselves in stadiums, they weren't prepared for that kind of show, that level of show. They didn't know how to play it. And and I think, considering it was such a crowning moment in U2's career, there was a lot of regret and a lot of, oh, God, if we could just go back and redo that. Mm. And there was a lot of songs that they'd never even played. Uh, the I think the DVD that we got of it from, um, from the Joshua Tree 20th uh, edition yeah. in, in France, I don't think Where the Streets of No Name was even on that. And it's no. um, it's kind of bizarre that you know you know that that's that that's what people are trying to celebrate, and you don't have one of the main hit singles from it. So so yeah, that kind of makes sense to go back and do the Joshua Tree properly, Joshua Tree live yeah. properly. Whereas, but we've had, it was, it was a, I, I'm anticipating what you're going to say, and maybe maybe sort of butchering your point, but whereas. Zoo TV was the best version, the most fully realized version of what it could be. Anything that they do now is not going to be as good. Is that where you yeah, where it, you're going? It, it, yeah, it was groundbreaking. It was great. It was cri- a critical success, a commercial success. Uh, I think it is the kind... If any, any music fan can sit down and watch Zoo TV and be like, oh my God, I can't believe a band did yeah. that. Because... Not only will it never happen again, it shouldn't happen again. It was over the top. It was fun to see once, but you can't, you can't improve on Zoo TV. No. It's it, it it'd be like trying to do Pop Mart again. It wouldn't work because it was such a one-time thing mm. that it, it just it doesn't make sense to redo it. If however them celebrating Acton Baby 
next year for a 30th. Doesn't necessarily mean Zoo TV exactly. 30. Exactly, that's what I was going to say. You know, take, like, I've, like I've said for years, take it into a theatre and combine it with Zoo Ropa and, and do that. Hey, what about take it into a theatre, make it into a musical? Act, act uh, and no, baby, just like Turn Off the Dark, give it that treatment. That that stardust might, might settle again. Who are we dropping from the ceiling this time? <laughs> Um, I'm trying to think of actors I don't like, but um, I can't. I, I'm not. <laughs> Mel I'm not be, yeah, Melvin. Yeah, he's not. He's not up to much at the moment. I'm sure he'd be happy. Right, where are we up to? Up to with this uh, DVD? Well, we're up to the moment um, of of one turning up, and um, then they put together different bits of the song, as we've said, and we've got mysterious ways being played, and there's a new section. And they do, this is one bit the documentary does do very well. The bit where the chords turn up, they obviously don't say, here's the bit where we invented one. They do the bit, they play the chords and they build it up really well. And Bono, when he recognises it, he, I'm sure he's acting here quite a lot or playing up to it, but he turns his head like a dog that's just heard its dog bowl, you know, go down. He, he, he responds to it like, hmm? Like, oh, that's one. And we hear that great clip of, of Bono um, saying, give me an acoustic guitar at the speed of light and getting down the chords and he's guiding everyone. And you actually kind of realise, ah, this is Bono's actual gift and we can hear it at the moment of you know the inception or the conception of, of, of one. And that is his real skill. People often think, and we, we're mean to Bono all the time, constantly, um, but that's his real talent to be able to to chase after a melody, you know, before it dis- dissolves or disappears. I think we are mean to Bono, but what's the alternative to actually uh, constantly say how we really feel about Bono and just like just be, you know, constantly crying about how oh my god, I love you, you short ass little man. <laughs> like I, I just what's the alternative? We've got to be mean to Bono because the alternative would be pathetic. Yeah, I I, I agree with that. Um, I think Adam's got a great quote here. He says, he's got a lovely way of summing things up. And if I ever um, do write my memoirs, then I would like Adam to um, to narrate them. I presume he'll be dead by the time I, I, I finish them, but um, we'll see. Maybe if I do some early ones. And he's, he's talking about, he says, Bono's finding where the fertile ground is. You know, he's, he's looking around in the song and, and, and finding that sort of thing. And he also sums up really well um, when they're talking about one and this... Um, the moment that they get it, he says that we found a spiritual, not a sonic identity, which is the thing that maybe they were not thinking about or they were chasing after in the wrong way. It's not enough to just say, this sounds a bit like, uh, you know, the Manchester music. Let's put some housey piano on it or let's do get Bez in and do some maraca shaking or let's make something hard like KMFDM or something hard in, in industrial. It's not a sound they're looking for. It was a a spirit or a feeling together that's what they needed and then it's um then it's every it's party time isn't it really for, for acton baby you can see how much they enjoy the rest of, of the recording of it it seems yeah something i wanted to say um is uh, you, which was really fascinating for me was um when larry is putting down the uh, drum beat i think to even better than the real thing yeah um I could be. Am I right there? I think so. Um, and you've got Brian Eno in the sound booth, and at first you can't hear what Brian is saying to Larry, but you've 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 got Larry going, "Yeah, I can do that. That's no problem. That's no mm. problem." And then he gets about thirty seconds into the beat, and uh, 
Brian Eno cuts him it's off. Station. And just goes... It's Zuzu Station, yeah. sorry. Um, I'm not used to listening to the drum beats in isolation, so it threw me a bit. Mm. Um, but you've got you've got uh, Brian going. I'm sorry, uh, sorry, Larry. That's that's really not working. Uh, you're making it too smooth, and it when it sounded really chaotic before. And I really like that relationship because Larry was very was very open to critique and criticism, and I think he appreciated. Uh, okay, well, if it's not working, don't make me play the whole song. <laughs> yeah. You know, if you know it's not working, tell me straight away. And I think that is such a great insight into how Larry Mullen is. Yeah. Like, it's it's there's no BS. It's straight down the line. Tell me what you think, and let's 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 look. Let's get this album recorded, and I can get back on my Harley. <laughs> that is the impression I have of of Larry. And I liked that. Um, is I, I think that could that. Eno criticism could have come across the wrong way to somebody that doesn't know the relationship with the yeah. band, but it, it was a, a nice, interesting insight that, and it also something I, w- I wouldn't have thought of if I hadn't well, seen it. And there we, we witnessed the, the genius of Eno. And, mm. and I think that what's interesting about that is you can tell that on Act and Baby, Larry is playing drums in a way that he hasn't really done before because everyone is playing something different. And yet, and I guess this applies to everyone, it seems so different and yet it sounds so similar. The Zoo Station drumbeat is very industrial, but it's still pure Larry Mullen Jr. It's a really difficult one to explain, but it's it is it's still got the power. It's still got the the sort of marching feel to it that that he has had in in the past. And I mean, it, it, I've got my drum kit behind me. It just makes me want to get on the drums, distort the kit a little bit, and and go go crazy. Yeah, there was a lot of points where I just wanted to grab a guitar for this. Um, I need to buy a new bass because I sold my last one to you. Um, <laughs> that's that's right behind me here as well. Yeah, so I need to, I actually need to buy a new bass um, uh, just just because there's so many things I want to do a very bass heavy cover of um, uh, Wild Honey, for example. Um, wow, the project no one asked for. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so so yeah, but I think I think when you are a musician or if you love music, you can't help you watch this documentary and you'll you'll start drumming along on your legs or you'll just you want to grab a guitar, you want to shake some maracas, you want to do something because it has that it begins to have that effect on you where it puts you mm. in the creative mindset of uh, of the band. Yeah, and and I think that I think that's 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 where this documentary comes into its own and really starts to have its power. Because it, uh, it instead of just watching people be inspired, it then begins to inspire you, and that is priceless, I think. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And um, we get Bono talking about doing a little bit of of judo here because he's mentioning the fly and saying, "Well, you we're being called pompous rock stars, and if you want a rock star, let's take the force of that criticism and redirect it." Um, I just think technically Aikido might be the more accurate martial art than than what Bono's saying here, but we'll 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 leave it at that. And I might be wrong there, but the idea of the critics were out for you two. They were they were wanting to do hatchet jobs on them. So let's flip that around. And this is where we get that brilliant animated sequence. And every bit of the animated stuff is great in here. This is why I want more of it. Um, the Identikit Rockstar, where Bono is nicking all the different stuff. So let's see if can you remember? Can just, you remember? Who, yeah, uh... just thinking. Go on, can you remember oh, let's him? See. Um, so we've got, obviously, uh, the king, Elvis Presley. 
Yeah, what does he take from Elvis Presley? Uh, his um, his hair, but not his sideburns. Uh, I'll give you that. And his burger. No. <laughs> I imagine um, you'd never get that off. You'd never get that. Let off me do. Him. Let me uh, do the rest, and let me see if I can. Uh, his jacket. He takes the king's jacket. Right, okay, fine. Right. Um, the the pants of Jim Morrison. That's correct. Trousers. We'll okay. go with that. The glasses yeah. of Lou Reed. Correct. Yeah. Is that it? And I don't think he gives a shout out for whoever he stole the Cuban heels from. Um, Let's be honest, he probably already had them in the closet. Possibly, yeah. Um, also, <laughs> I, I always think the fly looks a bit like Roy Orbison, but um, that's just me. Well, black hair and glasses, fair enough. Yeah. After the Identikit Rockstar, we then get a compilation of the Acton Baby photos. So I've got on my wall, I keep talking about things that are in my, on my wall or nearby here, but anyway, but it's, it's kind of makes sense because I've got the picture of Acton Baby, which you got me um, over on my wall, um, the album cover. And what's great about this documentary, and I think I would have appreciated this even more when I was younger, is when you have got a CD and obviously a lot of people would have the vinyl and you really you pour over this you're looking at lyrics you're looking at pictures you oh that's how he's got the vinyl there looking very very attractive you get used to all of these lovely pictures and you start to recognize them when you're flipping through the book you 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 get to see them and to see actual footage of when these were caught and usually the app the um the moment that these things were actually captured it just shows you the life and vivacity of Acton Baby. And what I was thinking about was just how... I, I, I'm kind of unapologetic in how I rank Rowland Hum as one of the worst, if not the worst, bits of U2. A necessary bad bit. But it just feels so yeah, old. You say that, but You say that, but we love it. Yeah, it we, we could sit there and watch Rowland Hum every single day. Well, not every no, day. Not every day. A, 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 every one or two years, we could sit there and have an absolute ball yeah. it is it's a great documentary the live version the, the songs on on the the live versions are so well chosen so well done um i have a lot of fun watching rattling home but for some reason i i do get this like oh i, I don't want to watch rattling home but when i'm when i sit there and i watch it it's, it's incredible it's, but it feels like comparatively and the word comparatively is important here Rattling Hum feels a million years old and a thousand feet deep under a pile of desert dust comparative to to the old, the Morocco Fez shoe is for Acton Baby. That's where I want to be. I want to hang out with those guys, not hang around with lots of um, big-coated Stetson wearing, you know, uh, blues sycophantic people. Like I, I'm not interested in that version of you 2 or at least I'm a lot less interested. I want to go and party with the guys in Fez. That's That's what I would like to do. In Fez, well, when they well, that's where those photos were taken. A lot of them, and it, it seemed great. Oh, oh, this time in Fez, not oh, not God, the next no, time not, they're in Fez. Not for No Line on the Horizon. I mean, that's that's probably the the second least place that I would like to hang out with with you two in this weird scenario I've cocked up, uh, <laughs> cooked up in my mind. <laughs> uh, so, uh, um, but. But yeah, right. So through, throughout this, and I was going to go into this earlier. Throughout uh, this, you have you get various um, people talking about uh, creativity, and you get um, you get a, a, a 
an interview with David, bit of an interview from David Bowie, were um, uh, an archive interview from David Bowie, I might add, uh, where he's talking about Berlin and how important it was to be in Berlin because in Berlin he was completely anonymous. And uh, that helped his creativity because uh, success can have an effect on the way you think and the way you feel and the way you create your art. So I, I find that really interesting. I can see the the pull of uh, artists who are you know have got a, a bit of notoriety to you. Uh, oh, let's go let's go somewhere where no one knows us. Let's go and rediscover who we are. And then you get Larry talking about how in Hansa Studios uh, it allowed the four members of you two to write uh, to uh, each be a part of the songwriting process and be a band mm. because. They left the wives at home. They left the kids at home. Uh, they uh, left the families at home, and it was just the Acton Baby crew, the the uh, the producers, the sound engineers, the guitar techs. It was just the U2 crew, I suppose, in 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 uh, in Berlin. And I think that just allowed for this time of concentration on a creative project that they wouldn't have got. And off the back of that, you have the, the, uh, one of the best lines from Brian, you know, I've, I've ever heard where he talks about interior designers being the death of creativity. <laughs> yeah, that is good. Which, which that, I mean, that should be on t-shirts. Interior designers are the death of creativity. I don't know how serious he was being, but I, I I would like to mock that line, but I also agree with that line I think that's a voice of experience um, from Brian there. I bet there's been loads of times when he's been trying to get to do something interesting. You know, like he's probably got like a, a goldfish stuck in a, I don't know, stuck in a tube and he's, he's, he's put that through a saxophone and that goes into a synthesizer and then suddenly people are like, oh, are we, are we hanging the drapes over here? Are we doing, are we moving all this all around? He's like, get out of my studio. Hello, this is Brian. All right, Brian. Uh, yeah, just wondering uh, what colour of fuchsia you want these walls, mate. Uh, listen, I've got a goldfish here. He's trying to play the saxophone. He's in a swimming pool and you're ruining the recording process. Yeah, I know, but I've painted this wall six times. Uh, so I just... Are you sure you want this shade of fuchsia? That's all I'm asking. Actually, I was thinking of a, a different shade of blue. So you don't want fuchsia at all, and I've, I've got 16 tins of fuchsia paint in the back of my van. No, I want a different kind of blue, and that's just it. Now, good day. I need to get back to my fish. Brian! Brian! <laughs> you happy with that? <laughs> So as we get into the final stretch of the film, I was wondering just how many leather jackets the lads have got through in total, because it seems to be that every single shot, they are all wearing leather jackets, and there's just so many different ones. I would genuinely be interested to know, as a unit, how many they've got through. I think it's it's the the calling card of the of the 50-odd-year-old bloke who just wants to, he wants to try and be cool. A pair of Converse, some jeans, and a very expensive leather jacket, so... Um, Oh, you've got leather jacket, don't you? I bet it's into I bet it's into the thousands between the four yeah, of them. I think I think so. Uh, certainly. Um, I mean, I've got a few, and uh, I, I'm trying to fit back into one of them, um, which isn't isn't a project that is not going well. Uh, but imagine I imagine there's like this Indiana Jones style warehouse 
with just crates and crates of gear. You've got bubble suits. You've got Bob Bono's leather jackets from the Elevation Tour. I mean, that's a warehouse of its of its own. Um, but I, I, that's what, that's how I imagine. I wonder where all these jackets are. I can't imagine they're throwing anything away, really. Well, I hope they've thrown away Bono's leather pants because leather jacket, yes. Leather pants for me, no, thank you. That's not um, doesn't say comfort and it doesn't say style to me. I'm putting together a fly costume at the minute, so I I have just bought some. Um, uh, faux leather pants. <laughs> um, and we get them revisiting Berlin. They're in a Trabant, obviously the the iconic car that was so much part of, of Acton Baby in so many different ways. And just a really cute moment where Adam seems to get stuck in this tiny car and Bono helps him out. And um, there's a genuine moment though where you can see how how close they are as friends. And they, they walk, they're walking the same streets as they did all those years ago. And I think they've managed to get the footage of them doing that surely two seconds before they were absolutely mobbed by fans. The statement that Bowie made about Berlin surely does not hold for you two these days in, in Berlin. I know it's a cool city, but I don't think they're above these days freaking out over you two. They're going to get mobbed. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I can only imagine that, that that was like really early in the morning Um you know when they when they could do it, or they close that bridge down and only let one or two people pass over it just to, uh, you know, make it seem like they hadn't done that kind of thing. But this is something that also feeds into. I think this do- documentary might have been heading in a different direction because if you if that's the final shot before we go back to the book end of Glastonbury, if that's the final shot, the four friends still together after all these years, then it kind of why wasn't there more of a, a story of like that look there was division in this band yeah they you know they if if you imagine this band as a square you two as a square then all four of them were in all four as far as they could be in all four corners and 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 i think that's the sto- that is the story that was unfortunately only just touched on there would have there would have been arguments there would have been disagreements and you can you can go through all that, and they can still be friends. You know that's that's the power of you too. It's the same four guys, but I, I think that's what that's why it's the most interesting period in U 2s career because they achieved arguably the, the most successful point when they were possibly at loggerheads. Yeah, and, I, and that's the documentary I wanted. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. I would like to see. I think one one thing that we've we've has come out of all this is what we would like to see, um, apart from maybe a little bit more animation for me, um, is a little bit more grit and a little bit more drama. What what actual things happened? But I think they were trying to, in a negative way. I think what they were trying to do though was also make the comparison, the the case, and it is a very unique case that you, you two are, are unlike other bands, and that compilation that they had where they were showing how. Um, certain members walked out. Certain members were kicked out of different famous bands. Pa- passed out, fell out. Yeah, <laughs> that's a really that's a really good scene. I think the the battle for uh, Davis Guggenheim and for you two and anybody partaking in this documentary is: do we celebrate or do we document? And and I think, unfortunately, they went a little bit heavy on the celebration time, a celebration side of that, and not the documentation 
uh, side, which is what I would always prefer. Yeah, I think that, that sums it up. Um, just then, a little bit of time to look at some of the critical reactions. Um, Drew McWeenie, I'm obviously looking at this from, from Wikipedia, said that this is not, and I think this really actually captures what you were saying, wrote that the documentary is not a complete record of Acton Baby's conception, but it does offer fans a rare gl- glimpse at the process behind U2's music. And for non-fans, it attempts to set a context in which they can appreciate what it is that you two accomplish. So I think that that's a good point. And again, we get back to the point that maybe this documentary is trying to serve too many different masters and maybe then doesn't do what some of us would like it to do. Um, nevertheless, he says, um, it's not everything we wanted from the movie or I wanted from the movie, but it's solid. And we get a glimpse of the real creative alchemy, which is impressive indeed. And I think those moments, I mean, I'm sure there's not a dramatic moment for every single one of the songs that's on Acton Baby. Nevertheless, as a super geek of you two, I would like the similar level of treatment and time given to all the different songs. Uh, yeah, so uh, you've just reminded me now that we should really do some uh, YouTube comments uh, for Bono's version of The Fly. Uh, top comment. Oh, come on, people. His playing isn't that bad. It's just mediocre. But his role in the band is being a vocalist, so him being mediocre on guitar is enough. They have Edge, so they don't really need anybody else. Um, I, 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 for some reason, I find that really funny. Uh, um, I, I, this seems to be. I didn't know that it was such a widespread, ongoing joke uh, that you know about Bono's guitar never, never being plugged in. I've been saying um, it for it, about it five years be. on this podcast, and yeah, yeah, we, we've always said it. Yeah, we, we've always said it. Um, but other. Um, how different Bono and his guitar. I like it. Um, so some people aren't as harsh. Do you think that these people just don't play guitar, or um, or what? No, I think I think it's I think people are not used to this setup. Really, I think people who like the fly part of the the joy of that song is all the distortion and all the stuff that 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 went into making it the the textured song that it is. So maybe that's maybe that's what it is. Um, I just think. This is the worst of the individual performances that's that's on here, and I'm glad, I'm glad it's 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 not lingered over too too much. Um, what the hell got cut out of this documentary for that to you know to make it in? Uh, another comment here. What did the chur do? I agree. Bono just. I feel like that chur was solely there for um, uh, for Bono to kick it. Yeah, it says um, someone else has also commented. The chur is like, why would you do that? <laughs> So uh, the chair is quickly becoming one of my favourite... Uncool, man, uncool. Yeah, ...favourite actors in this. Um, in this. It, it's just not, my, not the version of a guitar. <laughs> this one here. He's been playing guitar for 25 years. His hands must be tired then. It's a really dad, dad joke. <laughs> oh, God. Right. Um, okay, so uh, the next time... That is all for uh, From the Sky Down. The next time we're going to be with you will be the final episode of 2020. Yes, people, we're finally at the end of 2020. Um, we're going to resurrect our Christmas um, episode. We're going to do our second Christmas episode ever. And this is the deal. It's a celebration. It's not been a great year under any circumstances. But when we're with you in December, there's going to be competitions. There's going to be prizes. There's going to be quizzes. There's going to be, there's going to be fun and games. We're going to end 2020 
with a bang and give you a celebration that, well, frankly, we all deserve at this point. Um, Christmas uh, isn't particularly something that me or Johnny look forward to, but uh, we, we're aware that everybody needs cheering up at this point, so we're going to do our best to do that for you uh, next month. Johnny, have you got anything to add? Just that we will... The plan was in this Christmas episode because, and uh, the figures back me up on this, people are not that interested in us talking about the uh, the U2's dalliances with, with Christmas music um, over the past few years. So we've not got anything interesting to say that's new. Tyler insists that this will be a fun thing and we're also going to be giving away something apparently, aren't we? We've got a prize of some sort. We're going to be giving, we're going to be giving away some, uh, some prizes. Yes. Um, and uh, the, uh, the, without saying what they are, uh, they're quite special, aren't they? Yeah, Johnny? they're not just like they're not they're nothing to do with me or Tyler. You know, they're not like a picture with our faces on them or something stupid like that. They're actually de- it's something quite decent um, that we're going to give away, and we'll we'll have some sort of competition, um, which the format of which we will decide at some point and let you guys know about. So your reward for being great fans of Review Two and getting to the end of this, um, some would say quite meandering podcast about a documentary that. Um, not that many people have seen is that you might be able to get you might be able to 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 uh, get ready for this competition and bone up on all your review to knowledge yeah it will be an ask us anything podcast as well so feel free to start sending in your questions from right now and uh, we'll uh, do our best to get through all of them um so until then thank you very much for joining us we will see you next month see you soon listening to review two the youtube podcast if you'd like to get in contact or for more information please follow us on twitter at rev underscore u2 or on facebook.com forward slash rev u2 to you for those rebel type guys why not email us at review to contact at gmail.com review two was presented by johnny and tyler <laughs>